Well, hey, good morning. Good to see y'all. Hey, pray for me. I lost my voice first hour, so I hope I don't lose it this hour as well. A few things going on before we get started with the message that I want you to know about. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you received an email uh, from one of our elders about the uh, offering that we're taking up uh, for our ministry partners in India and for what's going on there. And so if you came uh, ready to give for that, all you need to do is uh, see either uh, Jonathan Spradley or uh, Tom Albers. Are either of them in here? There, there was Jonathan. And so Tom will be probably in the back at the end as well. And uh, a lot of uh, hardship is being faced by our uh, church planters there, and we want to partner with them. And uh, we'll let you know uh, next week how much uh, God has blessed them through your uh, giving and your sacrifice. Also, uh, if you want to join a team that's forming right now to do a mission trip to uh, Hutto, Texas, uh, the Go Huddo team is already got a number of people who are involved with that. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, we'd love for you to uh, join them in that uh, endeavor. It's June 6th through 12th. And there's a table in the back at the end of the service. You can check it out. And two weeks from tonight is our concert of prayer, kicking off our summer great adventure and our ministry. And so hope you plan to join us for that. And then we're kicking off a new membership class during the 930 service uh, next, uh, two weeks from today, uh, taught by Pastor Trey just on what it means to be a committed member of a local church. If you are not a member here yet, I would encourage you to sign up for that using your church center app or just see me or one of the other leaders in the church. They can help you get connected with that as well. So with that said, I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. Uh, just to let you know, if you, uh, like, I appreciate uh, Pastor Trey, two weeks ago he preached, and Pastor Michael last week. If you are putting into practice what Michael spoke about last week, then this sermon should feel like a real encouragement to you. If not, it will feel like a stern rebuke. Uh, it's really up to where you are. Uh, we always pray before we uh, get up to speak that God would use the message uh, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And so I'm not sure on what side you find yourself, but I pray that God's word would uh, accomplish its work in your life. Uh, today, what we're going to see is that there's two very different ways to serve God. We're going to look at the example of King David and King Solomon. King David served the Lord with his whole heart. And King Solomon was half-hearted in his service to the Lord. And what you'll see in this passage is that even though Solomon did a lot of great stuff, I mean, he built the temple, he wrote a lot of the, the, uh, the, you know, the poetry in the Bible. If God has your activity but not your affection, then soon he will have neither. If God has your activity, if you're doing great things for God, but he doesn't have your affection. Soon he will have neither. If he has your activity, but he doesn't have your allegiance. If he has your activity, but he doesn't have your attention. Soon he, you will, he will have neither. And so verse 1 of First uh, Kings 11, as we're teaching through the whole of the Bible over 40 weeks, we begin with this. Now, King Solomon loved Many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, 
Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Solomon had a problem, right? I mean, obviously. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. The mountains, by the way, east of Jerusalem are the ones that are directly across from the temple that he had built. And so this is going on in sight of the temple. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Can I just tell you that for me, I think the story of King Solomon is just about the most tragic story in all of the Bible. In fact, it's one of the most tragic stories in all of history because this is Solomon. This is the king, the son of David, the one who God said, hey, ask for anything and I will grant it. Just ask for one thing and it's yours. And he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for power. Instead, he asked for a discerning and wise heart so that God granted it and gave him a supernatural measure of wisdom so that he was the wisest man who had ever lived. I mean, this is Solomon, the guy who built the temple. Solomon, the guy who wrote three books in the Old Testament. This is Solomon. He's brilliant and he's gifted. He's the go-to guy for architecture, for leadership, for management, for relationships. This is Solomon, the poet and the scholar and the leader. Like Solomon was a Renaissance man 2,500 years before the Renaissance. Like he was like a walking Wikipedia he was brilliant. He was gifted. Everything Solomon touched turned to gold. Like we're told in chapter 3 of 1 Kings that, that he had riches beyond compare. Truly, he was one of the greatest men who ever lived. And then we read about him in chapter 3, verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord. So he actually loved the Lord. Like this great man had a heart for God at one time. He loved the Lord. And are there anything, is there anything better that could be said about you? Like any, any achievement that you could have, any, anything that you could acquire that would be greater than at your funeral, somebody, somebody getting up and saying, this person, this man, this woman really loved the Lord. 
And so we read in chapter 3 that Solomon loved the Lord, but we read in chapter 11 that Solomon loved many foreign women. So how do you go from loving the Lord, like being the real deal, like really loving the Lord, to loving many foreign women? How could one of the wisest people who has ever lived in all the earth become such an utter fool? Solomon loved many foreign women. Like every word in that sentence is instructive for us. It says that he loved like someone or something had captured his heart, his affection, his attention, his loyalty. And, we're, and yet he knew he was commanded by God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Like that was the... Like the the, the basic doctrine standard, like the, the statement of faith for national Israel. He knew that he was supposed to love the Lord his God above all else and to, to have his heart fastened to God in his loyalty. And yet, he loved many foreign women. It says he clung to these in love. That statement in this context has sexual connotation. So he loved many. The next word is many there. Like there is no scenario where this is going to end well because there is no scenario in all of Scripture where there is a positive example of polygamy. Like you cannot in the Bible find a positive example, a God-blessed and God-honoring example of polygamy. I'm sorry to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. It just doesn't work out. Okay, like this is a train wreck. Like, he had 1,000 times too many women in his life. I mean, if you knew someone who was having sex with a 1,000 women, you would say, well, that guy's a pervert. Like, he's some kind of a sex addict. He is a maniac. What is wrong with that guy? Like, if you knew of a guy who was having sex with a 1,000 women, you would think, man, that dude has a problem. Well, that dude is Solomon, like the guy who wrote part of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you wouldn't want Solomon to go to your small group, right? You certainly wouldn't want this guy around your wife. She may be a thousand and one. Like you wouldn't want this guy cleaning the toilets at your church. You certainly wouldn't want him up front. Solomon loved many foreign they were not like him. They were different. They were other. They were outsiders. Their issue wasn't their ethnicity. The issue was their loyalty. They were not loyal to Yahweh. And there are countless warnings in the law in, like of, directed for the nation of Israel of the danger of intermarrying with foreign women who would then turn your heart after other God. And yet these are princesses, many of them. And so you get the idea of a political alliance that he's entered into. And yet he's loyal to these women. I mean, this could happen today, right? I mean, you're not going to marry a princess and you're not going to hopefully marry 700 of them. But our relationships have the tendency to turn our heart away from the Lord. 
Like as we become loyal to someone or something greater than Jesus, as our allegiance is tied to that person, it can turn our hearts away from the Lord. Like this can happen today. Solomon loved many foreign women. Understand this. Women were not the problem. Women were not the problem. The use of the plural of that word shows us that the real problem was Solomon. The real problem was Solomon's own heart. Like the temptation that you're facing is never the problem. Temptations come and go. We live in a fallen, broken world. Like we cannot completely avoid every temptation. It comes down to what you do with that temptation. Like lust cannot be cured by simply plucking out your eye. Like you have to address the issue of the heart. When I was a youth pastor, I'd have students come up to me, guys, and they would say, could you tell the girls on Sunday morning to dress more modestly because it's really causing us to struggle with lust? And I would say, I could tell them that, but you would just leave Sunday school and go to Chili's and lust after the waitress. The girls are not the problem. You are. Your heart is. Your eyes are. You need to obey. You need to do what Job said when he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon the maiden. He didn't say, I have made a covenant with the maiden not to dress immodestly. I mean, honestly, you would lust after a girl in a burlap sack. You're the problem, right? Like temptation is not the issue. It's what you do with that temptation. The real problem is our own heart. It's my heart and it's your heart. And there are two ways to serve God, either with your whole heart or half-heartedly. Solomon's real need, as a wise man once wrote, was to guard his heart with all wisdom above all else, for it determines the course of your Life. By the way, that wise man who wrote it was Solomon. He didn't obey his own teaching. He didn't practice what he preached. Like he knew that his heart was the steering wheel for his life. And yet he steered it in the wrong direction, just a little bit off center. Like his downfall started with his heart. I love what one commentator says. He just says, all sin is an inside job. Like we live out of the overflow of our heart. So how's your heart? Like today, what, what's competing with Jesus for your attention? What's competing with Jesus for your affection? What's competing with Jesus for your allegiance, your loyalty? You see, six times in these first nine verses, we read that Solomon's heart was being led astray. They will turn your heart after their gods. His wives turned his heart away. When he was old, they turned away his heart after other gods. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Solomon turned his own heart away from the Lord and to these other women, and then they turned his heart toward other gods. His polygamy turned him into a polytheist. Like, how detestable is that? It's a tragic tale. This is a tragic downfall. His life ends, like, 
It's just a total wreck. What a terrible legacy he leaves. What would you even say at his funeral? It's just so sad. And yet his dad, his own father, David, had written, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And certainly they did in the life of Solomon. Solomon ran after emptiness and became empty. He ran after sorrow and became utterly depressed. Like he ends his life saying everything is vanity. Everything is worthless. How did King Solomon go from loving God to loving many foreign women? How did this wisest man who had ever lived really become the greatest fool who had ever lived? One commentator writes this. He said, we fall into sin long before we fall into disgrace. We fall into sin long before we fall into disgrace. See, we just see the headlines, right? And we're all tired of reading them. We're tired of reading about Christian leaders, spiritual leaders, evangelists and pastors and church planting like gurus falling away from the Lord, either walking away completely or being found out as an embezzler or an adulterer. Like we just read the headlines, but something has been going on below the surface for weeks and months and even years. And so what Solomon's life teaches us is this. Be careful of the little decisions that you make. Guys, be careful of the little decisions that you make. The ones that you think are no big deal. It's just a, it's just a tiny little white lie. A tiny little indiscretion. It's a mistake. It's an indulgence. It's no big deal. Because Solomon's life, guys, was not ruined overnight. I love what Mark Dever says. He says that a small difference in trajectory can make a big difference in destination. Just a little bit off-center. Just one degree. It's no big deal. Sin often begins with what may feel like a minor concession, maybe an allowance for this shortcoming or a brief indulgence for that desire. But that simple change in trajectory can set you on a course to a deadly destination like it did for Solomon. So what's your trajectory? What are you doing right now? What are you allowing right now that you would say, like, I know it's not ideal, it's not God's perfect will for me, but you know what? It's not like it's, it's not like, not like I'm cheating on my husband, it's not like I'm embezzling. It's not like I'm killing anybody. It's not like it's no big deal. Like for Solomon, veering off course, changing his trajectory, started with making an alliance with Pharaoh, with the nation of Egypt by marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. And that was just his first kick away from perfect center. It was no big deal. And then you read in chapter 3 that Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. I mean, Solomon really loved the Lord except for... I mean, Solomon really followed the statutes just like his father David did. However, but 
What's your but? What's your however? What's your except? Like, what are you allowing right now that you know it's just a little step, a little tick off center? It's no big deal. In addition to this, Solomon disregarded the commands that had been given to the kings of Israel from Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy 7. They were told that when you get into the land and you cry out for a king, make sure when you establish that king that he doesn't go down to Egypt and form an alliance because I delivered you from Egypt. That he doesn't multiply horses and chariots because he'll end up trusting in them. That he doesn't multiply riches or else he will trust in them. That he doesn't marry many foreign women. And yet Solomon did all of those things. And I am very confident that Solomon never consciously decided to stop loving God. But the more and more he loved these other things the less and less he did. And I wonder, like, if this was King David, Nathan would show up at this moment and rebuke him. Where is his Nathan moment? Nathan the prophet comes to David in his sin and says, you are the man. And David repents. He grieves over his sin and confesses it openly. And I wonder, did God send a Nathan to Solomon and he just didn't listen? I mean, because I, like I, I was reading it this week and just thinking, Solomon had to be arrogant. He had to be really cocky because he was the guy in just about everything. He was smarter than everybody else, wiser than everybody else, more accomplished than everybody else, richer than everybody else. I'm none of those things and I'm arrogant. How about you? Like, I couldn't handle this. So who spoke to him? And to whom did he listen? Solomon himself wrote that when you stop listening to instruction, you will stray. Or as my uh, spiritual father, Charles Ellis, used to tell me, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. I'm sorry, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Like he repeated that over and over to me. The idea was that there's no small sins. Sins never want to stay small. Sin always has this goal, this desire to grow, to be the ruler of your heart. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. You will find yourself saying things, doing things, allowing things that an earlier you would sit in judgment on when you let things that are no big deal seemingly in the moment go without like confessing and forsaking. Guys, if it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to me. If it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to you. So be careful of those little decisions, those things that you think are no big deal. Instead, reject every little sin as if your life depends on it because it might 
and pray that the Spirit will increase your desire for God and take away your taste for lesser things and pray that God would give you the grace to make right choices because as I heard 30 years ago at a conference and it stuck with me to this day, if Lucifer could become Satan, then any man or woman of God could become a moral disaster. I mean, Lucifer, that angel that was in the very presence of God, who along with the other angels probably sang day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. If Lucifer could become Satan, the deceiver, then any one of us could become a moral disaster. That's why we're warned as Christians in Hebrews 3, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, Christians, guard your heart. Make sure that none of you have an evil, unbelieving, falling away heart. Or else you might harden it like a Solomon did. So what's your trajectory? What are the little decisions that you're making right now that are steering your course toward Jesus or steering your course away from Him? And if you're steering away from Him, how are you justifying that? Are you like David for a time who thought, I just need some me time? Like he's, at, he's on his roof at the time of the year when the kings go to battle and he's thinking, I just need a little self-care period, right? This is my time now. And he looks from the roof and sees a woman bathing. And y'all know the story. Or maybe you're like a Solomon who thinks, I deserve this. Right? I've been used by God. I'm, I've been doing so well. I'm the exception to this rule. You see, Solomon shows us that gifting does not equal godliness. And that success does not equal spirituality. We should not be surprised when we read these sad and tragic headlines about spiritual leaders. It's heartbreaking. I don't even want to think of the names. But we should know that's how sin works. It grows and it devours and the enemy is treading around right now like a lion wanting to devour us. I have prayed for over 30 years the prayer of St. Bernard, not the dog, but the saint. Oh, make me thine forever. And if I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never, outlive my love for thee guys that should be our prayer that we would finish well i so want to finish well because i know because of the example of solomon first of all that our choices are not our own they don't just impact us they don't just affect us, but they affect all those around us. And the more people you have like in your life, the more it's going to impact in a negative way or in a positive way. Solomon's sin as the king of Israel had devastating effects on that nation. It divided it. It destroyed it. 
That's why we read God's judgment on him in verse 11 of chapter 11. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, practice. This isn't a one-off. This isn't a oops. This isn't a mistake. But since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I surely will tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Here's the truth, guys. Our disobedience has a ripple effect on the lives of others. Like we read this and if you're living... 3,000 years ago and Solomon is your king and you're faithful to Yahweh and then Solomon dies and then the kingdom is split, you think this is not fair and it's not fair. It just is. Don't blame God, blame Solomon. Look what he has done. His disobedience had a ripple effect. Like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5 in the, the law given to Israel that they were supposed to love the Lord their God, that they were supposed to serve Him only, that they were supposed to go after God and let Him be their only God. But if you went away to other gods, then you would stir the holy jealousy of God and it says that He would surely visit the iniquity of those fathers on their sons and daughters to the third and fourth generation. Like, what does that mean? It means that sin has a powerful, natural, not supernatural, but natural effect when you grow up in the home of someone who disregards God and who wants to live the life of a fool. It has a powerful effect on you. I've seen, I've seen this close up. Growing up in an alcoholic home and all my brothers and sisters have struggled with alcohol and drug addiction. Sin has a powerful effect, and you gotta wonder, how has the sins of your own parents been visited upon you? And what are the choices that you're making right now, and how are they going to negatively impact your own children? Our disobedience has a ripple effect, but here's the good news. Our obedience also has a ripple effect. Like in the context of judgment, God speaking to Solomon, telling him that I'm going to rip the kingdom from you. He says this, yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of, your, out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant. And for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And you read those same words over and over repeated in this chapter. Verse 32, for the sake of my servant David and for, sake, for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I have chosen. And verse 34, for the sake of David, my servant, whom I, have, whom I chose, who have kept my commands and my statutes. Like what's going on here? What's the second part of Deuteronomy 5 where it says that for those who love God, God will bless like He will show steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep, keep my commandments. Guys, righteousness, obedience has a ripple effect. Like when I was a kid, I read this short story by Ray Bradbury called The Sound of Thunder. 
And it's a science fiction story, short story, and in it, like it's set in the future where they like came up with a way to do time travel. And the way they use it is to go back in time and go on big game hunts like during the dinosaur period. And so they go way back in time and they find these dinosaurs and they find dinosaurs that are about to die anyway because they don't want to mess up the timeline. And so they go to these places and they, they walk on a, like a floating glowing bridge above the, the floor of the jungle. And as soon as they see the dinosaur that's going to die like in a minute anyway, they shoot it and like the person pays big money for this. And so they take this guy back in time he gets really scared when he sees the T-Rex. He goes off the path. They pull him back on to the path. And then the T-Rex dies. They go into the future. But in the future, everything has changed. Like everything has changed. And then they look at the boot of the guy who went off the path. And on his muddy boot is a squished butterfly. The butterfly effect. He kills a butterfly in the ancient past and somehow it changes the timeline well that's just a story but this isn't God says for those who hate me there's going to be terrible consequences on the lives of those who grow up within that environment but for the ones who love me I'm going to show my steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who follow my commands like you see this in the life of David in 1 Kings 15 and 2 Kings 8 and 2 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 20 and Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 33 and Isaiah 37 and Isaiah 55. It repeats the same statement over and over and over again. Yet for the sake of David, 400 years after the death of of David God is still blessing disobedient Israel for the sake of my servant David like there's a blessing overflow and those people get to benefit so how are you blessed by your parents by your grandparents and what are you doing right now to bless your own children and to bless your grandchildren and bless those great great grandchildren that you don't even have yet like I have prayed for years and years that God would use me to start something new, a new trajectory for the Pruitt family, a righteous line that God would save my children, that God would save my grandchildren, that God would save my great grandchildren, that maybe in a hundred years, if Jesus hasn't returned, God is still answering my prayer for a generation yet unborn like what choices are you making right now to bless your children by making God the priority of your life the priority of your schedule the priority of your planning the priority of your family can I just close with this the best example of this kind of blessing that we have in scripture is not King David it's King Jesus. Like Jesus' choices were not his own. They didn't simply impact him, but they impacted the whole world. We read in Romans 5, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, 
the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Guys, we don't have to live in terror that we're going to be the next Solomon, the next tragic headline. We can finish well because we have a king who finished well. But we have a choice to make because there's two ways to serve God, either with your whole heart or with just half of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for second chances and for a thousandth chances. And I thank you that uh, when we recognize our sin and bring it to you, that you promise in your word that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God, that we can count on that. God, I thank you that there is, it's never too late to start being obedient. It's never too late to follow you. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who maybe they see themselves in Solomon. Lord, help them to feel the weight of that bad news and give them the grace to repent. And for those who see themselves in the life of David, sinner, but broken and repentant, Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged to finish well. We pray in Jesus' name.